This is the Crime Board Podcast. With Sam West. Hello to everyone listening. We've made it to, we've actually made it to episode two. <laughs> if you were with us for last week's episode, where we had a chat with suspense author Claire Lance, welcome back. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm Sam West, and of course, a very warm welcome to today's guest, crime thriller author Heath Gunn. So Heath, you and I have been talking about having you on for over six months now, and yeah, I'm really, really glad to have you on today. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, thank you for asking me, and uh, yeah, I'm pleased to actually have made it here and be sat on the other end of a mic talking to you it's good but yeah I'm, I'm really really glad that you agreed to come on um i think when i started thinking about uh doing a podcast like over a year ago um you were one of the first people that popped into my head because i just thought how cool would it actually be to talk to you in real time about your book because we do it anyway like we message each other anyway about your book so i, I thought like why not actually let other people in on that conversation <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they might be a bit disturbed by some of the content, but hey. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it comes with the genre, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it really does. It's like, if people aren't used to that by now, then um, yeah, they they definitely will be in. You know what, I think think they'll be in for a surprise anyway, because it's Monica we're talking about. It's not just anyone. Yeah, there is that, yeah. Okay, so before we dive in, um, a little uh, nice piece of information that I know about you, um, a little fact that I know about you, is that you are the lead singer of a band, which is really, really cool. But yeah, I'd like you to imagine that it's a Friday night and you're not playing any gigs. So, you know, nice, quiet night. You're just minding your own business. But someone calls you onto stage anyway and hands you a microphone. The question is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, Karaoke is literally my idea of hell after singing with the band and having <laughs> yeah. actual instruments around me and guys that are just, just sickeningly talented. I'm really, really lucky to play with four guys that can literally just play anything. Uh, and I just stand around with a mic in my hand <laughs> making myself look stupid. Uh, so, yeah, people, you know, mates, when, when we're out, they're like, oh, you can sing jump on karaoke. I'm like, oh, God, no. Guess <laughs> then I have to sing an actual song. Uh, so... I like things that I can talk. I sing uh, rock covers with the band, but if I'm going to belt something out of karaoke, it's got to be something that I'm comfortable with the backing track of and know it's going to be at the right pitch. So uh, my go-to is probably uh, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, but the George Michael Elton John version. Key-wise, it's perfect. I can sing both parts. It's cool. Yeah. Well, also tell us a little bit about your band then. Uh, so we're uh, the band's called Rapid Trank. Uh, we are a rock covers band. We formed in 2007. We all worked in a, a medium-secure forensic unit. Uh, so I was a support worker years ago in a medium-secure uh, forensic service uh, down near Portsmouth. And the guitar, one of the guitarists, Dougie, uh, was a uh, mental health nurse and also an occupational therapist and used to teach patients music 
Uh, one of the other guitarists, Chris, was a support worker on the ward with me. The ward manager, a guy called Paul, who's not our drummer anymore, but was the original drummer, was a ward manager. And our original bass player, who was only with us for the first year, was a social worker called Tim. And we all worked on the unit. And every year, Dougie would put on shows for the 78 people, I think, that were in there. Uh, on uh, like Easter and, and Christmas and he was putting this Christmas show together and Paul got wind of it and said oh here you've got a patient band playing for the Christmas show and Dougie said yeah we've got a four piece rock band they're, they're doing really well and Paul got a bit competitive he said well we've got to have a staff band uh, and they started pulling this band together they, re- they knew Chris played in bands Dougie's played in bands forever as a Paul they knew Tim uh, played in bands with a bass uh, guitar and uh, they were talking about who could sing, and Chris basically dropped me in. It said that I walked around the ward singing and whistling all day, and that was actually in tune. And brother, well, I'd be <laughs> up to doing it. So they asked me, and we did we did four songs in Christmas two thousand and seven for the patients and staff, and it just sort of took off from there. Really, our first pub gig was in two thousand and nine, after a year of touring the hospitals and doing this everywhere else. And one of the nurses asked if we'd do a fundraising gig for her. Which she basically taken over a pub for a fundraiser that she did, and at the end of the gig we said yeah we said we'd do it and we put two I think we only did like twenty songs we only did nothing compared to what we do now yeah that that's amazing um, I've actually done some uh, detective work myself and I found uh, a cover of yours on YouTube so um, yeah <laughs> very very cool. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I guess there's uh, there's no chance of uh, linking that in the description. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, we're all over YouTube and Facebook and all sorts. So yeah, there's no escaping it. It's out there and it's been out there for years. <laughs> well, if anyone's interested, um, yeah, have a look, please. It's yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I loved it. It was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, so I know from our previous chats that it took you 19 years to write Prisoner. It did. Um, to, to write and release Prisoner, which is it's quite a long time. Um, and here I was stressing about taking a year and not having done anything. And meanwhile, you've like done <laughs> 19 years. Where did that journey begin? And I mean, from the beginning um, up until that point. Wow. Okay. So yes, it, it did take 19 years. I'm not embarrassed to say, but it's just one of those facts that, that it's just what happened. So no, that's I, perfectly fine. Yeah, I, it is fine. And I think anybody who's putting themselves under pressure to get a book out, you know, sit down, write the first novel, get it published, edit it, all that kind of thing. Everything that goes into writing a book, as you know, is, is some of it's quite torturous. Oh, yeah. uh, but anybody <laughs> yeah. who's putting themselves under pressure, I think the thing they need to remember is you do it at your own pace, at your own time. You're not competing with anybody else. Uh so don't look at other authors and what they're doing and try and emulate that and, and try and, you know, work at their pace, work at your own. So I, I've, I've written forever and I've, like lots of people who write, I've started, I must have started 30 stories in my lifetime that got as far as chapter three and then never <laughs> yeah. touched it. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there were always going to be great books and then chapter three just got bored and stopped writing. Yeah. And I was, so in 2000... I had, uh, I used to be in car sales. I had three of my own car sites and I was sat on the car sites one day. I was sat in one of my, my offices in the car site and I, it was a really quiet day. And I, as I normally, I got a pad of paper out and I started scribbling an idea for a book. And I, after about 20 minutes, I realized that I'd sketched out the beginning, the middle and the end of a story. And I was like, oh, this is novel. Uh, I've actually got an ending uh, or even a middle, even a middle was novel. 
Uh, so I, I walked away from it. I think I went and spoke to a customer, came back in again, sat down at the desk and, and went, it's a beginning and middle. I have got a beginning and middle end. So I just started writing by hand. Uh, and three and a half years later, I wrote the end, uh, three folders full of paper, which I've still got the handwritten version of Prisoner, uh, which is very different to the version that you will all have read. So, yeah, I, I hand wrote three and a half years of, of writing Prisoner out, and then life took over. Uh, so that would take to 2004. So, yeah, got divorced in 2005. Didn't think about writing again for another two or three years, probably. Got somebody, uh, a friend, a friend's uh, mum who was a, a audio, a, a typist to uh, transcribe it for me. And that was transformational. Once I actually saw it on, on a screen in front of me, I could play about with it and start tinkering with it, which I did endlessly for about the next eight years on and off. I just tinkered with it and rewrote it and changed it and changed character names. And then in about 2017, I would guess, I decided that on the fifth rewrite, I needed to stop rewriting it. <laughs> it's like, enough now. This is now the fifth draft. Where you've gone all the way through the entire book and rewritten bits of it. Uh, so I sent it off to uh, an editor, a guy called Richard Sheehan, uh, who was the editor uh, for for Prisoner, who was just superb. And after three or four weeks, it came back to me with uh, 13,500 suggested changes. And I remember looking at it and just it just blew my mind. Uh, and and it, it, for anybody who doesn't know, so when you get, it sounds like a horrendous amount, but sort of a hundred thousand word book and editor's suggestions on changes. So to move a comma is three changes. So it's deleting the comma, moving it to where it should be, then telling you why it's been moved. Uh, so I, being new at the whole editorial process, working with an editor, I worked my way through every single one of the commas, full stops, spelling mistakes, everything. Uh, and he had questions about plot, questions about character. He did a chronology for me, start to finish of the book, to make sure that when I was saying it was a Tuesday, it was actually a Tuesday, not a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and they're things that you don't pick up when you write it because you write it, you don't, you don't write it in the same way as somebody re someone reads it. You don't do it seamlessly, and you write in. So I'll write. I was writing Khan earlier today, Khan too. And I was writing for 20 minutes. I've got a gap in my diary, so I did a 20-minute writing sprint. And I won't go back to that. May not go back to it this evening. It might be tomorrow. And so when you're doing that dipping in and out, sometimes you lose track of where, where the... I've got I've got tools that I use now to stop me doing that. But when I wrote Prisoner, it was written by hand, so I didn't go back to the last folder to find out what day it was on Chapter 3 when I was in Chapter 28. So, yeah, he did this chronology. I rewrote it, and then I put myself on... Uh, a self-publishing course to learn how to publish uh, the book. And I went on uh, a guy called Mark Dawson does an, an amazing self-publishing course. He's, he's like a guru of self-publishing. Uh, but yeah, I did, did his course and various modules over and over again on his modules. And then I got a cover designer, a guy called Stuart Bash, uh, who was just phenomenal. And I still use him now. He doesn't like covers now. Uh, who's great he did he did me three or four different drafts of covers for prisoner and then it was ready and yeah 2019 i loaded it up on amazon in paperback and ebook in the two different formats and it took me four days to press the publish button <laughs> yeah 
I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's stressful, <laughs> isn't it? Like you're sitting there staring at it. <laughs> I just kept walking away from it. I've got it loaded up. It was all ready. <laughs> Publish your book. Uh, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> I'll go clean the house first, like maybe two times. <laughs> clean everybody's house. Yeah. Just go down the street. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yes, and that was the journey. I get that fear so much, though, because you're kind of like up until that point, you don't really think about it. At least for me, yeah. you don't really think about it. And then before you hit that button, you're like, but what if I've missed something in the edits? Or what if the continuity doesn't add up? Or what if something doesn't work? Or what if people hate it? Just what if it's crap? Yeah, well, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> what if after all these years, 19 years of playing about with it, it's absolute dross? <laughs> <laughs> Which I can definitely uh, tell everybody it absolutely is not. Um yeah, I, I finished, because I, I read No Remorse twice and Busy Prisoner at the moment. I did it backwards, okay? Oh, it just happened that backwards, way. Backwards, yeah. It just happened. I don't know why or how it happened. It just happened. And um, <laughs> yeah, for me, it's actually really interesting because I'm really enjoying learning about where Monica came from now, like that sort of, I don't want to say yeah. backstory, but in a way it kind of is. Um, you know, yes. to me, I find that like even better Um and I will never, I suppose I'll never have the experience of reading the first one first, obviously, because I've already read the second one. But I love it. Like, and number the second one, I think I got through like three, three or four nights um, after work. I just come home and read and read and wow. read. And then I check like the time again, it's 11 o'clock and I'm like, I need to go to bed, but I kind of want to know what happens next. Um, <laughs> Damn those short chapters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, but the short chapters are amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've actually, I've taken, like, I've learned from you now, and I'm, I'm also doing short chapters in my own books, because I'm like, it's really, really effective, because it keeps you wanting yes. to, to keep reading. Um, and I finished the first time, or the first, the first round of reading, and left alone for a couple of weeks, and I was like, actually, I want to read it again, and I went back, and I made notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's really, <laughs> like, you, you, like, had absolutely nothing to worry about when you pushed that that button <laughs> but i know it's stressful <laughs> Thank you. but yeah it's so stressful it really is so anybody out there who's hovering over the button to publish just do it just close your eyes and press the button <laughs> just do it <laughs> yep just do it just put it out there you can always edit it later you can always change it if yeah. you hate it and i think that's the great thing about uh indie publishing because you're not contractually bound yes if you want to take something down you can um yep and that's yeah, that's really good. Even if you have like a cover change, you can just pull it, put a new cover on, done. Yeah, yeah. And that that was for me the the draw of being an independent publisher was that indie publishing for me. I, I wanted the control of release dates. I wanted the editorial control. I wanted the cover design control. I wanted a bit of control freak, as you can tell. I I wanted to control all those elements myself, and I wanted to decide when the next book followed and how quickly and. All that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's an important part when you've invested that much of yourself into a story and into a book that it, it comes out the way you want it to. I think most of us are like that, um, you know, as creatives, I think, because we've put so much work into it. At the end of the day, it's our baby. And, uh, yes. yeah, you kind of want to feel like at the end of the day you've done all the work, so why should someone else have control? I don't know, at least for me, that was a yeah. big thing. I'm just like, I want to know what's happening every inch of the way. And then when it's done, it's done. And if, if it goes wrong, at least I can say it went wrong because of something I did. But if it goes yeah. right, if it goes right, I can be like, well, look, the hard work paid off. So yeah, I completely get that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely worth the pain. But it's out. 
Um, and and your reviews are really good as well, which I think uh, says a lot. You know, um, it's a really good thing. I think I, I only read the reviews after I'd read the book, so I was going to leave a review, and I was like, oh, well, everyone else feels the same as me, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do leave one. It does make a difference. Uh, but yeah, the reviews are great, and that they're really. I think there's two schools of of thought with reviews. You either never read them, or if you're going to read them, you've got to read the good and the bad. Uh, and I decided early on that I actually wanted to read the bad ones, so therefore I'll allow myself to like, oh, that's a good review. Uh, and the the bad ones I I love. I I go back. I've got a particularly favourite one star review, which I go back to because it just makes me laugh. It just makes me laugh. There's one that's like childlike prose, grotesque for the sake of it, and it just makes me laugh. The venom and the effort that somebody's put into leaving me a one star review, and I it's, I I don't reply, but I just want to put thank you for reading and taking the time to comment. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't for you. Yeah, if someone is a crime author or or if someone's reading crime, they should expect those things. It's like I said last week; it's not really a prerequisite prerequisite to have dark stuff in but it's going to be there somewhere along the line it's going to be there yeah I, I don't know i think if somebody's passionate enough that they want to leave a review and they want to tell you what they think about your work then there's just some learning to be had for me you know t- i uh well you'll know because you, you've read no remorse that no remorse isn't as gruesome as prisoner prisoner there's a reason that the the prisoner is so graphic and so brutal uh, and that was because I wanted the reader to have a picture of what the killer was like so that then they could have the wrong picture come the end. Uh, so that's the reason that it is really quite graphic and really brutal uh, because I wanted them to build a certain picture of a certain character as they went through the book. So that was needed for that, but it wasn't needed for no remorse because it was written with you know a different frame of mind in, in, yeah. sort of in mind as I was writing. Yeah, yeah, and technically at that point they should know who she is and what she's capable of. Yes, absolutely. Um, I didn't, obviously, but I still found it uh, quite intense in a very good way, like I said, because I've read it twice. Um, for me, for me, it was really interesting, and we will get into this uh, in another episode uh, when we go uh, deep dive into those books. But for me, I think what was really interesting um, about Monica specifically was trying to, to understand where she was coming from, um, trying yeah. to, to get inside her head and understand why she does the things she does and obviously i'm not going to spoil it but yeah for me that that was what absolutely drew me to her and why she was so fixated on these victims yeah so interestingly enough there was a couple of reviews left for prisoner that asked those very questions and i purposely left it for the for the second book for no remorse uh so if anybody's reading prisoner is frustrated that i haven't revealed why the killer does what they do then Grab no remorse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think as well, what I loved is like you begin to unpack it from the beginning, but by the end, you kind of understand exactly what's going on. And for me, going from number two back to number one, I understand why she did what she did, but now I kind of want that beginning, that sort of yeah. backstory. So yeah, no, it's really, really good. I love it. She's <laughs> very, uh, yeah, she, like I said, in my very, very first message to you, I just said, she makes me want to um, lock all the doors and windows. <laughs> <laughs> on room for that yeah <laughs> um i think especially because of what happens in the book um yeah yeah so everybody just start tonight before you go to bed make sure everything's locked <laughs> double bolted put some chairs in front of the doors <laughs> that, that's another comment that comes out in the reviews quite regularly as well that stop people sleeping 
I was like, yeah, sorry, not. Really? Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Stopped sleeping for two reasons. One, because they've stayed up all night reading. And two, because the, the fear that they felt because of the way that the way that Monica inflicts herself on people, they've just not been able to go to sleep. Yeah, no, I, I was opposite. I was up all night, like, just being very interested. But, but and I will say, every time I heard a sound outside, I kind of get up and I'm just like, you know <laughs> that there's no one there, but what if there is someone there? <laughs> Yeah, so you were born in Sheffield and you left home at 18 to join the Royal Navy. I did. Which, uh, which I found really interesting. Did this influence your writing in any way? Uh, leaving home did. I don't know that joining the Navy did, apart from meeting some really colourful characters along the way. Uh, I was in the Navy for three years as a helicopter engineer, uh, so he's climbed out on helicopters, uh, repairing the electrical systems on helicopters. Uh, had one of my knees chopped up by the Navy surgeon because I played football and my knee didn't operate properly and he didn't really heal properly so after about probably about three or four months of recovery they said to me look you're not you we're not going to let you climb on helicopters anymore you can either have a desk job or you can go outside so i went outside uh and i think the move i was i wanted to stay down on the south coast i i, I met some friends i enjoyed being down around the area uh so that uh, that absolutely influenced my writing because of some of the some of the places some of the places that feature Prisoner uh, and No Remorse are set along the south coast, as is Calm. Uh, so they're all set along the sort of coast between Southampton and Portsmouth. And that's very much been sort of, a, a, well, 30, 33 years I was down there. I moved back up to Sheffield in summer last year, spending 33 years down on the south coast. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that leaving home, being essentially on your own and having to make it sort of thing, influenced a lot of me as a, as an individual, but also yeah, I, the places, the the feel of of where things are set were definitely influenced by that that area and that place, and that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't joined the navy and gone down there. I think that just sort of comes with it because I think you find that it's it's almost sometimes inevitable to to not bleed into your writing in a way, um, and and each author's sort of personal experience just of life yeah. as a whole, I think. Uh, sort of shapes their novels as well. Um, yes. Yeah, but for me, I think for me it was really interesting because obviously not being in the UK, like for me reading uh, No Remorse, I could picture everything, um, you know, as you wrote it, um, specifically that one scene where she went to the, um, was it a, a bed and breakfast or? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the bed and breakfast down by the sea in South Sea, which actually exists. Yeah. Yeah, for those who are... Uh, who know Portsmouth? It's at the end of Florence Road. Yeah, South Sea Rocks, I think it's called. Something like that. It's, and, and it's really cool because I could, I could, like, all my senses were engaged um, as you were going through that. And then there was that other scene where she went down the alleyway, and you had the street names. And I went to check those out, and I'm like, yeah, I can actually see that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah, the alleyway with the two boys. Yeah, yeah, that one. That that's one of my yeah. favorite scenes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes to write. Actually, made me laugh out loud while I was writing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really good. But yeah, I was also wondering, because you and I spoke about it, I think on Monday, um, about the idea of possibly doing a radio drama somewhere down the line. Yeah. Are these characters inspired by by any people that you've seen or met in real life, or are they literally just all from your head? No, that, so that, I, think that, I don't think you can totally avoid writing in elements of people that you see or people that you, you come across. Uh, I think you take character traits from people, or people watching is a great pastime. 
I love, you know, whether I'm, yeah, whether I'm in a Starbucks or whether I'm walking down the street or whether I'm in a bar or in a, a cafe in Paris watching people walk up and down the high street, there's nothing you can do but observe the human race because we're just fascinating creatures. Well, I think there are elements of that, that that feature in all the different characters, but there's no there's no one specific person that's based on another. Uh, there's no character in the book, so yeah, Lomas Baxter is is unique. Monica's unique. Uh, I, I think yeah, I think it, you drop traits in of things that you've seen, you've observed that have amused or appalled or whatever. Uh, sometimes in equal measure. And yeah, I think it's created out of a mishmash of things that are in my head, characters. Characters sort of take on a bit of a, a bit of a uh, a life of their own, uh, and some of the characters that I've written became bigger and louder than they were ever intended to be as I've written the books and as I've gone along. Yeah, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Um, I wanted to, to find out because we have again have spoken about it uh, in the past, but just to really. Have a look at your process because I know you've told me in the past you don't really plan. You kind of just yes. jump in. To me, that's I terrifying. Do. But I know a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't do that. I have everything planned to the T. It doesn't always stick to the plan, but at least I have uh, something to look at. Whereas I yeah. know that you're the opposite um, because I'm sure a lot of authors are like that. Um, maybe I'm just the weird one. Um, but yeah, like what what is your process like if, uh, yeah, if any? Yeah. So that there's, it, it's quite a random process of honest so there are there I, i've spoken to, i've spoke to authors before and there's there's the two trains of thought there's the plotters and the the pantsers so i yeah i i, I have to let us i've got a rough idea where the story is going to go in my head uh and and sort of what the tr- the the sort of root of it's going to be if you like uh so i'm writing Khan two at the moment and i know roughly where it's going to land but i don't know how it's going to get there so as I'm writing and I'm developing the story, I'm developing the plot lines. There are there are times when it, it, it's almost the I know it's metaphorical because we type on I type onto a Mac, but it's the put <laughs> your pen down moment. Yeah. When I'm I'm writing a scene or I'm writing a bit of a, a I'm writing a chapter or I get to the next chapter and decide what that point of view is going to be for the next chapter, and it's almost to stop and decide what direction I want the story to take next, who I want to bring in. How long it is since they featured in the story, so I, I try and keep everybody's story running concurrent. So I write in quite short time scales. So Khan is written across the space of a week. No remorse is written across sort of four or five days. Uh, Prisoner sim- is written a longer a longer time scale, but uh, the the second two are shorter. So the in order to keep the flow of the story, I one I use short chapters, and two I use. Uh, switching points of view so that you're moving through a day with say that i don't know the main three or four characters in the book you're seeing what they're all doing on a tuesday oh that's to get interesting to point of the story so what i do is i've got i've got the notes app on my mac open down the left hand side and i'll put a bookmark in for the day of the week uh which i learned from richard doing my chronology for me so i, I stick a comment in there that says monday 10 a.m and that comment sits, it just sits on the left-hand side of the page while everyone writing the chapters until I go, okay, so I've just rolled over into the next day and then I'll put the next day on there and whatever time it is, whether it's, you know, 2 a.m. on a Tuesday or whatever it is. And that's when the scenes have all changed uh, and everybody's days move forward. So 
I try and drive. It, it's almost like putting my arms out behind all the characters and pulling them along at the pace that I want them to go at. Yeah. Uh, it's like, no, 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 you can't stay there because it's Tuesday and you've not done anything on Tuesday yet. So you need to come here. So you're next. So that's why I switch a two and a half page chapter. We'll move into a six page chapter to bring somebody else forward or up to speed unless their part of the story is done and then they drop off and disappear. But I often also think, what's the worst thing I could do to the character? <laughs> <laughs> so that that sometimes fuels my pen down moments when I'm, I'm like, right, okay, where can I, where am I going to take this? I'm like, what, can I, what could I really screw with them? How could I really mess with their head? And then how would they react? And with some people, it's it's really obvious. So that and the I, I suppose the the baddies, if you like, in the story, the monikers, the Inzman Khans, they're a bit easier to predict how they're going to react because it's complete rage or killing somebody. But I, I think your your Lomas Baxters, your Drew Taylors, uh, Raj or or Husna Khan, Inzman's wife. So understanding how they're going to react is slightly uh, a slightly longer process for me because I want them to be true to their own characters. So I spend a lot of time thinking how they're going to react to the situations I'm putting them in. Do you have do you have like separate files for each character? Was it like a bio sort of thing, or do you kind of just just write and let it happen? No. So on on the notes app again, I've got a folder for chapters. So I track the chapters, chapter number, page it starts, page it finishes, and just two or three lines, very brief lines about what that chapter covers, which it just allows me to keep a, a chronology of where everybody's moving with my get everybody forward through the day. Uh, and then I've got a cast list uh, and I've got a, a, a Khan 2 cast list that I click on and it's got every one of the characters which has got their brief description. So you'll you'll be familiar because you've you know, read No Remorse a couple of times reading Prisoner. My descriptions aren't so detailed that I give you the picture of what the character looks like. I'll give you... I'll give you their outline. I'll give you a, a flavour of what they look like. I've got a more detailed picture in their in their file. So I've got hair colour. I've got height. I've got eye colour. I've got what they like to eat, what they drive. I've got all that, and I, if you use some of it and some of it, I don't. So when I when I put I don't know, I introduce you to a character in page seven. I'll cut and paste that and drop it into their their biography in the cast list. And then every time I mention them, if there's something else I've I've added about a scar on their head, I'll drop that in, and then they drive a Subaru Impreza, so I'll drop that in, and so that's sort of how I, how I build them as a character, which has been really useful. Revisit it was useful in No Remorse because I'd already got that for Lomas and Drew and and, and all those characters Sherlock, uh, so it was useful. I reread that before I started writing. Uh, and similarly with Khan too, I went through the cast list and biographies for uh, Khan and reread them all just to see how I'd painted the pictures and what what kind of characters they were, what they height, weight, clothes, accents, all that kind of thing. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, and just on that note about uh, the process, um, how does a story start for you? Is it is it always character driven first, or do you get the plot idea first? Is it character or plot? Um, where does it begin? Oh, what a good question. Uh, I have an idea for a story, I think, is the, is, the first, is the starting point. So I've got behind me, I'll glance around as I'm talking to you, behind me I've got a, a chalkboard on my wall, 
which tracks all my novels through from first draft all the way through to distribution. See, that's and very organised. Very, very organised. It's very organised, and it's got prison economic remorse. It's got the the uh, the places that inspired Prisoner. It's got that book on there. It's got Carl too, but it's also got it's also got four other books written out. It's got the titles of them there, so they're the ideas. But they're just story ideas at the moment, and then once I decide who's going to be in them, then they get character driven. If that oh, makes right, sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So you kind of get plot first, and then you sort of. Uh, do you then sort of throw characters in or find characters for that plot? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I find characters for the plot. So the the four that are on there now, uh, three of them are Lomas Baxter stories, uh, and one is possibly a Monica story, but I'm not sure yet whether it's Monica or not. Yeah, it's really really cool. And and again, like I said, we'll definitely get into that when we deep dive into your novels because I've got so many questions. And and I'm sure that you know people who have read your books would also uh, like to to hear about that in detail because I think for me what's really great about doing stuff like this and having uh, chats with with uh, guests like this and authors like this is getting to know the author behind the book because oftentimes you just read that book but you don't really know what sort of led up to that point you know the the writing process creating those characters stuff like that for me is really really interesting yeah so we'll definitely get into that yeah that whole mental imagery thing. Yeah, there's just there's so yeah. much to unpack. So yeah, we'll definitely yeah. do that. We've got loads of time to, to unpack properly in future episodes. So you and I are both, uh, you know, both fans of a, a good procedural, as we know. Yeah. So how important is accuracy to you when constructing your own novels? Massively. Uh, so I can go off, I can quite happily go off down the research rabbit hole for three days <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i uh last week i was researching uh what was it handguns high-powered rifles and ammunition so yeah that was last week uh before that it was street purity of cocaine uh and value of cocaine sh- shipped weight of cocaine it's been all sorts from taliban training camps to uh to decomposition of a body in water all that yeah. really fun stuff Important stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I spoke to uh, Graham, who I know you spoke to as well. So, uh, yeah, that's Graham Bartlett. For anyone who doesn't know, yeah, he's he's just superb, and his second is, novel yeah. I think has just come out or just coming out, uh, and he's just very generous yeah. with his knowledge. Very much, yeah. So Graham is he's just superb, really generous with his time, and when it came to the the elements of the book that were police procedural if you like i wanted it to be right uh i wanted it to be accurate but only so much one of the things graham says is you don't he doesn't want to give me so much information that it turns into a police manual uh but just enough so i can drop the right detail in at the right place so in no remorse for example there's a there's a scene where uh they arrive to to try and capture monica and there's armed police and all sorts of stuff and i had a long conversation with graham about how that would be deployed uh, and the detail that he gave me was massive. We spent about an hour on a call like this, and I probably used about four lines in the book, and it was just, it. yeah, I talked to experts in their field. Again, for no remorse, I spoke to two experts that work in the prison service, in the investigation side of the prison service, uh, 
to make sure that what I was writing about that was accurate. Uh, and more recently, for Khan too, I've spoken to a, a, a forensic psychiatrist uh, about some stuff that I wanted for that. So yeah, it's really important. I think I think crime readers are very well educated. They're used. To, they they consume crime novels at a rate that I could never write them at. Uh, <laughs> so they read really broadly. They and crime readers just read really broadly, and so they know what they they know what they're reading. And if you write something that's wildly inaccurate, you they'll just ebook away. They just yeah. yeah, that's nonsense. And they'll just you'll either stop them reading. But the worst thing in the world, I think, is for an author to write something that stops a reader long enough to have to check. Yeah, uh, they just need to be going along with the story and be immersed in that world. And I think the danger is if you just make stuff up uh, just off the cuff without checking it, you run the risk of alienating your readers. Yeah, that that is really true. I think research, especially in this genre, should be priority. Um, even if you're you're not able to afford outside help, um, you know, because being in diocese and all of that, like none of no. we we can't afford stuff all the time. But there no. is Google. There are libraries to get books. <laughs> um, and there's some really good reference points out there. And you, yeah. if you spend your time digging around enough, you can find out what's genuine and what's not. Yeah, Wik- yeah. Wikipedia is a nightmare. Don't trust it. But there are lots of really good reference points out there. Uh, and you can sense check it with people. You know, if you've got other authors in your circle or you've got, uh, you know, access to people who've worked in the field that you're writing and just drop them an email and just send check something with somebody because uh, it really is worth doing uh, just to give that authenticity to a particular scene uh, and often they're the pivotal scenes they're the ones that you really need to like hammer a, a you know a twist in the story or you know a, a crisis point in a scene and you want it we want it to be right so yeah it's really yeah. important uh, the accuracy of what I write is really important. I do spend a lot of time, sometimes too much time, because it's fun and I'm finding out stuff that I never knew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we will we will be having Graham on a bit later in the year as well. Awesome. Uh, to really dive dive into um, how he works, both as a police advisor and as an author, which I think will be interesting. Um, but yeah, you and I have both worked with him and he absolutely is. He's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. He really takes his time to make sure that you understand what is going on, but at the same time that he understands what you want in that specific scene or chapter or character or whatever and breaks it down for you, um, you know, in a way that's really easy and simple to understand. Because I know policing is can be chaotic, especially if you don't have that inside information. Yeah. Um, but I remember the one thing he said to me was that it doesn't have to stop with someone like a police advisor. You can watch, uh, you know, those those sorts of like fly on the wall police documentaries, stuff like that, um, to oh, really yeah. get get an idea of what it's like. Like, um, I think the one he recommended to me was Twenty Four Hours in Police Custody, which I I watched, yeah, um, and really enjoyed. And yeah, it's just you know taking notes, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you um you know uh that research and accuracy is important to you as well because I think in this genre, like you've said, uh, people can pick up on things really, really quickly, um, which is stressful. I think it's stressful for authors sometimes. Like for me, it's a, it's a really, it's overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. But yeah, you're right. Some of the fly-on-the-wall documentary stuff, I've got my skybox is half full of 24 hours in police custody, hospitals, and and forensic, forensic investigation documentaries where I'm actually 
I've just recorded stuff and literally it's just research. But yeah, I think the danger if you don't research is that you believe things like line of duty and silent witness and you think that they're that's how police work's done and it's really not. Yeah, that's uh, just drama, isn't it? It's good good yes. drama. I love it. It's, it's one of my favourites. Oh, it's, it's great. Good. It's drama. Absolutely. <laughs> it keeps you literally on the edge of your yeah. seat, but it's it's really not really not the basis for your novels. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I believe that you have a reading for us. Yes. So after much deliberation, and it really wasn't much, <laughs> I've literally got all three of them on my desk just in case I change my mind while I'm sat in it. Uh, it was that much deliberation. I didn't want to read anything that would be a spoiler for anybody. And given that I've got short chapters that is quite easy for me to put a spoiler in, uh, I didn't want to shortchange anybody and think, oh, what well, is that all you're reading? So... I'm going to read from Khan, uh, and it's probably because I'm midway through writing Khan too, so I'm, I'm immersed in these characters at the moment. So yeah, I'm going to read uh, the beginning of chapter three in Khan uh, for reasons that will become apparent if you read the first two chapters in Khan. Uh, so Khan is a gangland crime thriller. It's different to Prisoner and No Remorse in that they're uh, detective-driven serial killer hunts. Uh, Khan is a gangland crime thriller, so full of drug dealers and all kinds of underworld stuff. Uh, it opens with the body of Inzaman Khan being dropped out of his own Range Rover onto a very busy dual carriageway right in the centre of Southampton outside the police station. Uh, his dead body gets rolled out of the back of his Range Rover and then the car drives off and a van drives over his body. Uh, and then the the rest of the book is the last week of his life. Uh and then you find out who killed Khan. So with that said, I'm going to take you to chapter three, which is seven days earlier. I love that. Inzaman Khan slammed his iPhone onto the white tablecloth and shouted at the top of his voice, Fucking sons of infidels. They have less sense than, than they were born with. Do I have to do everything myself? Is there no one around here with an ounce of initiative? What is it, boss? A smart-looking bearded Indian man scurried forward. In the background, a pair of scruffy white men in their early twenties leaned against the doorway that led to the kitchen of Inzaman's restaurant. Khan looked over at the loitering pair with disdain. They were a necessary evil, a means to an end. He tolerated their presence and humoured their feeble attempts at wit and paid them handsomely for their endeavours. They, on the other hand, thought they were in with the man. He knew this was how they referred to him when they were at safe distance from him. But when they were in his presence, they hung back until he called to them. He knew they were afraid of him and what they'd seen him do to others who displeased him. Seeing the two youths reminded Khan of a recent incident. Another youth had challenged Khan over the size of his cut. Inzman had not reacted to the young man's verbal taunts, nor to the tirade of predictable racial abuse that had accompanied his attempt at increasing his payment. Come on, you fucking thick packy. I'm sure that I'm due, I'm due more than that. I'd get more than that in tips waiting this fucking shithole of a restaurant, he'd yelled across the kitchen. Inzaman had stopped checking the takings. He turned and walked calmly across to the three youths without uttering a word or changing his expression. As he got within an arm's length of the gobby one, his hand had shot out and grabbed the youth by his throat. The loiterers had eased backwards, leaving their accomplice alone in Khan's clutches. Gobby tried to struggle, but Inzman grabbed a fistful of his hair. 
As he did so, he simultaneously released the lad's throat and slammed his face down onto the stainless steel worktop. He did this three times, and then a large silver pot had fallen off the end of the worktop, clattering to the floor. With the third strike, the youth's body had gone limp. Inzman had released his grip on the youth's hair, letting him drop to the floor. His legs spasmed as he hit the ground. Khan then turned his attention to the other two, who both turned to run. Stay there, gentlemen, he'd said quietly. The pair had frozen to the spot as the restaurateur walked around them slowly, until he was standing before them, staring intently at them. They glanced over their shoulders at their acquaintance who was sprawled motionless on the floor. With fear filling their eyes, they turned back to face Khan. Are either of you unhappy with your lever of remuneration? They looked at each other briefly and silently shook their heads. Good, he continued. Then this conversation will not need to be repeated, will it? Again, they both shook their heads, neither uttering a sound. You know where the door is. You may leave. They glanced round at their associate. Oh, don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. I bet um, I I bet by taking care of them it's exactly the way Monica did (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying nothing yeah good (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh he he sounds delightful Um, Um, yeah he sounds yeah very much so (laughs) he really is he doesn't mess around does he (laughs) no no he's uh He's another character that I enjoyed writing, another formidable baddie. Oh, yeah. Uh, who do you think would win, though, if you put him and Monica in a room? Oh, wow. What a question. <laughs> oh. On sheer physical brutality, Monica. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the amount of ways that Monica kills somebody is just, yeah, doesn't bear thinking of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, so I have all your links listed in the description, but for listeners who might want to, to pop in and say hi, where can we find you? Where can you find me? If you want to say hi, you can find me on Instagram. I'm HeathGunOne on Instagram. Find me on Facebook, uh, Author on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, very rarely. Uh, and... If you if you'd like a free copy of the book on uh, the places that inspired Prisoner, that it's a very short fifteen page picture book, uh, then there's a link on my website and you can click through that. Chuck yourself on my mailing list and a an ebook will hit your inbox. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. That that's a really handy little book. I might say might just say. Um, oh, the places book. Yeah. We'll we'll dive into that as well in the next one. Um, Yeah, 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 because I, yeah, that really gets into like how that started. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was okay. Yeah, I'm really, really keen to dive into that. Okay, cool. So um, I will have those links listed in the description. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to mention in terms of links that you'd like to add? Any other places we can find you? Obviously, books on Amazon. That's it. Yeah. Get yourselves on Amazon and buy some books. Yeah, shameless plug. There are three books there. Go and read them all. <laughs> let, let me know what you think. Drop me a line. And if you're on the mailing list, you'll get a, a newsletter. I won't plague your inbox. You'll get a newsletter about once a month uh, with links to stuff and let you know what nonsense I'm up to. Uh, but yeah, I uh, yeah, happy to chat and 
hear from anybody and let me know good, bad, or indifferent what you think. And it all fuels the uh, the next the next novel. So yeah, thank you for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me for episode two. As promised on last week's episode, we will be doing a deep dive into every author's novel later on. So be sure to keep an eye out for those episodes either later this year or next year. Now look forward to it. So he's, yeah, we'll definitely be stepping into Monica's world, um, quite possibly running, that is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll really be getting into the details of those novels and your Khan series as well. So thank you so much Excellent. for that. Yeah, great. Yeah, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to tune in to the next one. Um, we will be chatting to journalist and crime author Ali Steed in the next one. Um, which is shot to be quite interesting as she's going to be bringing a completely different aspect, uh, different angle to the writing process uh, from a journalism point of view. So stay tuned for that. And then you can find us on Instagram at Crime World Podcast and on Twitter as well. We are not as active on Twitter at the moment. I'm busy working on that. Um, but yeah, we should be up and running soon.